Hey, PT listeners, we've been working on something special at Tier 11, something that I can say without exaggeration or without hesitation will produce better ad optimization and increased conversions and have a profound impact on the amount of data you can send back to all your ad platforms. That includes Meta, that includes TikTok, that includes Google, and we call it X-Ray Tag. And it's only available to Tier 11 customers. A lot of businesses think that it's Black Friday, it's the holiday season, and once they actually get through that, then they'll worry about next year. Well, now is the time for you to start gathering all the data that you can to set yourself and your business up for success in 2024. X-ray tag replaces all the potpourri of pixels, cappies, cookies with one single implementation that sends higher quality first party data back to all your ad platforms. In fact, in our early testing, we've seen a 40 to 100% increase in event matching quality aka EMQs in Meta, which translates into better ad optimization and increased conversions. So if you feel like your ads are flying blind, head on over to tier11.com forward slash x-ray to get early access. Clients to sign up before the end of the year, move to the front of the line, and we are only offering this for the PT listener like yourself. So head on over to tier11.com forward slash x-ray. Don't miss out. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is the show where we share cutting-edge strategies in acquiring leads and sales to acquire more customers for your business through paid traffic. That's our new intro, Kasim. What do you think? Even though I sort of good. messed it up a little bit, but it's better than it was. It's just all about paid traffic because we're talking- It was authentic. Well, yeah, we try to be authentic here as much as possible. And in our little banter time, I will say this, that I am- a little bit intimidated by today's guest because she gives us a lot to live up to because I think hands down, she gave the best perpetual traffic review in history. It might be the best podcast review ever written, in my opinion. Ever written. You know, what's funny is we didn't know she'd given us that review until today when she showed up to record and reminded us, Ralph, I think you should read it. It's so self-serving. Awesome. It's like one of your humble brags, really. It, it really is. <laughs> it is. But now that you've brought it up, there's no other option. <laughs> All right. I'll read it really quickly. And this is where people tune out. This is where people pause and go back to their app. And go then, get your coffee. No. Yep. <laughs> they go to like Masters of Scale or How I Made This, something well, like that. Well, hold on. Let's reframe this. Okay. This is a copywriting lesson is what it is. You're about to get a lesson in copy creation. It's phenomenally well-written. It's very engaging, very entertaining. Okay. So it's a copy lesson. All right. I got you. And it wasn't AI written yeah. because it predates AI. No. Sort of, kind of. But if you write a review like this, maybe a year and a half later, you'll actually get onto the show. You get on perpetual trash. Which is exactly right. what happened to our guest here today. So, all right, here it is. The trashy romance novel equivalent for tactical digital marketing knowledge. This podcast is both the slow burn of how to grow your campaigns, but more importantly, how to lay a foundation for the successful climax to your bottom line. Wow. It's like a trashy romance because you just can't put it down. Hopefully my wife isn't listening to this. She was just here, as a matter of fact. Awesome. Ralph takes the theoretical and proven strategies down to digestible bites for actionable items small business owners need. Qasim Aslam, or Qasim Aslam, deconstructs his agency's complex strategies for solopreneurs willing to put in the work 
for long-term growth, you get both the heart-fluttering quick wins in the raunchy raw data with honest insights and actionable tips entrepreneurs need right now. I think she's actually blushing because she's in the virtual green room on mute. I've dropped big money on big names in this space, and this podcast is a realistic way to skill up your digital marketing without the kumbayas fluff or stupid expensive investments. I never knew how to spell kumbayas until right now. It's with a K-U, by the way, not like K-O-M, like kombucha. Mm. This podcast value is in the breakdown of specific areas. They don't drive by a topic. They get down and dirty in the details. I'm an agency owner in the e-commerce space. And this is my arsenal of continuous learning. And that is a great damn review. That's how you write copy right there. Yeah, that's great copywriting. But you also read that at one point, Ralph, in an English accent. I don't know if you caught yourself. Well, I don't know. But you started – that's how good the copy is when it changes the reader. I will be – irreparably changed. I don't even know what irreparably means. I guess that means I won't be the same person that I was before, but I'm changed now that I've read it. Yeah. So I think that's what good copywriting does. So today is a little bit about copywriting, a little bit about AI, a little bit about all kinds of things. And we're pretty excited to have Lauren Petrullo here on today's Perpetual Traffic episode. For the first time, even though she somehow got into the feed digital marketer like spun her in from the other like crappy show that digital marketer does now i can say that now that ryan dice is no longer our boss Shut although i still love ryan anyway welcome to the show lauren petrullo hello <laughs> i'm just gonna be here blushing and she Smiling. Mm-hmm. She's beat red. Blushing. Beat red. Kasim, I know you guys have known each other. Well, Lauren and I have known each other for many, many years, but didn't really know that we knew each other. We sort of knew each other virtually. You guys actually have known each other. So tell us a little bit about today's guest. Maybe a little intro before she drops her tasty nugget here. Yeah. Well, here's what I'll say to our listeners is Lauren is worth following. I think she's one of the most promising up-and-comers that I know personally. As evidence of that, she joined the virtual green room an hour, and we just now started recording because we couldn't stop talking. Like Every conversation yielded two new conversations. She's brilliant. She knows a lot about a lot. She's wildly, wildly funny, and she produces amazing content. I asked her to be on Perpetual Traffic because I kept stealing her shit. So she posts a lot on LinkedIn and Twitter. Go follow her on both. And you've got a lot to learn. I actually envy where you are in your career right now, Lauren, because you truly are on the cutting edge. I see you playing with stuff that like, I know is going to be absolute game changing, but I'm too old and decrepit to even start trying anymore, like to go figure out new things and reinvent myself. So I follow and steal from people like you, which is the luxury of being in my position. But I'm glad that you exist so that I can do that. So thanks for being here. I'll take it. You're welcome for existing. <laughs> I'm glad you exist so I can steal your shit. Is that what you're basically saying? It's so much more than that. That's a, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not even shy about it. <laughs> so not to build it all up too much, but I guess we probably have at least in the first 57 minutes since we've started recording here and only you, the perpetual traffic listener, gets to listen to the last five. Tell us your nugget. And this is a cool one. This is all about shops, as I understand it, on the meta platforms. Yeah. So if you have an e-commerce store and you are selling online, and especially to the US audience, you can spend anywhere between 40 seconds and four hours putting together an Instagram and Facebook shop. 
It is the most real estate of a button on an Instagram mobile app for IG, the shop. And it allows you to get in front of new customers. You get data like who liked your stuff, new organic exposure. And there's such a supply and demand deficit right now of shops that aren't setting up even at the 42nd integration level for Facebook and Instagram shops that the supply of massive amount of organic exposure is still, for me, uncomfortably easy. We spent four hours on multiple accounts and have set up revenue streams on shops that are over $50,000 of new business annually. You set it up once, you can spend as little as 40 seconds of integrating the app. And then you can see lots of organic exposure. And the best part is all of that data, because it's first party to meta, is then retargetable in your Facebook ads. So you can retarget anyone that's been to your shop and didn't buy, provide exclusive coupons. It's really easy to set up. I don't think you've ever really talked it's about Instagram shops here. Shop. Like, I don't know why. I've never heard I, anybody bring up shops once. I mean, we've talked about it maybe with Angela and Kobe a couple of times, just sort of in passing. But why is it so underutilized? And I guess that's the first question. But the second thing is, we talk to Facebook every two weeks. They never talk about it. I don't know why they don't talk about it. We always thought it was going to be like this big thing, especially staying within platform. Remember that iOS 14 update thing? Like this was one of those big solutions. Why don't people do it? I mean, the obvious answer is it takes time to set up, but not really that much time. But why is it? I think people assume that it means creating another website. So like having to manage new listings, like an Amazon kind of thing. So a lot of e-commerce brands don't enter the Amazon space because it's overwhelming and keywords and do I have the product descriptions and it's a lot too much. So I'm just going to focus on my .com versus just connecting the feed. And I think it's underutilized because the e-commerce store owners or the marketers themselves are not actively buying on Facebook and Instagram. It's not full adoption yet. Like Ariana Grande from an Instagram ad. I see it. I want to like it. I buy it and not have to leave. It's not taken to the global market as much as like ChatGPT has, even though AI had existed primarily before. Why they're not talking about it? I don't know. That's really interesting because we've gotten lots of free money from Facebook to push ads to the shop place. The amount of UGC, like the best part is for people that have really sucky websites, really slow websites. What the shops do is you don't have to be reliant on a website page that you coded that is slow to load, that isn't mobile optimized. Meta's done all of that for you. And you don't even have to worry too much about pictures because you can connect UGC. So if someone uses your hashtag or tags you specifically, you can do a one-click request to use their UGC in your shop. Really? That alone is huge. I feel like the, yeah, the ability to pull in the UGC in an easy way. I mean, that's the biggest needle mover in e-commerce, in my opinion. Y'all remember Ezra Firestone's Firestone footer? You remember what I'm talking about? Ezra, in his e-com training, had this, I don't even know if he still uses it anymore, but he had this construct where on every page of his website, he had what he called the Firestone footer. And it was just a gallery or a collage of UGC. It was testimonial videos, images, screenshots, selfies, people using your product. Here's what's interesting. I've never had a bigger lift on conversions than I have when we started using the Firestone footer for clients. That one thing, you know, it could double conversions in some instances. And so having a quick and easy way to do that in app, I think that alone is huge. That's massive. Well, the greater applications is the connection of the creator because they're going to eventually get benefit. And then you'll be able to do affiliate marketing because you'll say, yes, you can use your UGC and then set up a quick, hey, I'm going to tag your my products in your story. 
And then I'm going to get a little bit of affiliate commission, tag the store. So if I'm wearing this jacket, you really like it, I'll tag the jacket instead of the brand. The brand will like it because I'm getting exposure to my product. The creator will like it because then they'll be able to eventually have commission based on that affiliate purchase without having to do the crazy codes and all the stuff that currently exists. Well, so that's interesting. In order to do that, the creator would need to already be an affiliate and be using their affiliate link, right? That's not on the merchant. That's on the user. In the current marketplace, yeah, the affiliate has to have that negotiated agreement. But where everything is so obviously laid out, you say, Cosm, you don't want to try out new fancy things. I would say I'm not trying out new fancy things. I'm literally just looking at what China had been doing five years ago, because we're behind on them. So like predicting the future is looking in their past. And so ways that they've done this with their e-commerce apps is instead of tagging the brand, you tag the product. And then just through osmosis of the app, you agree to that relationship at large. So Meta handles the creator relationship at a very base level. You can always engage at a higher engagement level of how many deliverables. But if you're just saying, hey, yeah, if I tag it, I'll get an affiliate commission the way Amazon does. You sign up for an affiliate commission and you get your like 30 cents. That stuff is being so clearly paved out with the advancement of shops. So if the Facebook teams aren't talking to your team, Ralph, about it, it's probably because it's just different departments. Well, just a question, Lauren, do you think Meta is going to begin brokering affiliate relationships or do you know for that for a fact? There are betas out there with specific influencers and oh wow okay yeah again it's not widely adopted i think the biggest reason why people aren't using is because they themselves aren't buying directly on platform they're buying by going to an outside site but the groundwork is so obvious and the betas that they've made available why wouldn't i just tag the product specifically because if i'm going to a store that has six thousand SKUs, i'm never going to find the exact one i want and then i'm going to have too many friction points versus the see it click by. You were blowing my mind right now, y'all. Can you think about the implications of an in-app affiliate network that didn't have all of the preamble that affiliate networks do now? So I just bought a sauna. And if I wanted to post a picture of me in the sauna and instantly without any other context, just say like, oh, anybody who clicks and buys this sauna, I'm going to get a percentage of that sauna purchase, no matter how small it is. Why wouldn't I do that? You just turned every human on the planet into an advertising node. And you could do that across every network. I think about YouTube. YouTube is where people go to. So every software I've ever mentioned inside of YouTube, I could suddenly monetize. Holy crap, this is huge. How long until you think they roll that out globally? Oh, I think the biggest push is going to be always around Black Friday. So they're going to push everything they can to be Q4 ready. Globally, I think it'll be next year where it's like regularly adopted. So pre-pandemic, Shops was only available to a very exclusive number of scores. Like Sephora was one of the early ones. And if you are super interested in spending 40 seconds to four hours max on creating a shop, like creep Sephora's because they're very integrated with Meta and are always testing new stuff. But it was with the pandemic that Meta accelerated global acceptance of e-commerce stores to have shops. So this was two plus years ago that shops became openly available. And we still have brands that aren't incorporating it. I will say one thing is I know it was put on hold from Meta's roadmap because they focused more on e-commerce physical deliverables. What was supposed to come out in early 2021 was the digital products, selling those in a commerce fashion on Meta. But that all got put on pause because of the pandemic and focusing on getting people access to tangible goods when they couldn't go to the store themselves. The digital product scares me too, because that's going to be an absolute shit show. Every coach and course creator and consultant, all of a sudden, like you're just going to have nothing but an exploded feed of like 
garbage info products. How is that different from today? <laughs> Lauren, it's not at all. <laughs> Still the same. It's just now every infopreneur can say, oh, I have an e-commerce store and their e-commerce is just a digital product. And it'll help, again, facilitate the relationship because you'll be able to engage at a deeper level. And it's just first party data that then Meta can use for their advertising. People, you said everyone becomes a marketer. Everyone becomes an influencer, regardless of how influential you are, how big your network is, you're still an influencer. So you don't have to be big to be influential. That's a quotable, Ralph. You don't have to be big to be influential. Mm. Hashtag Lord Petrullo. 100%. Well, we will get into the heart of today's episode, talking about how to get 2,000 organic visitors to your blog post to well over 80,000 organic visitors to your blog, not using AI, but maybe using AI. Kasim. Not sure which it's going to be, but tune in after the break to find out. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Was your Black Friday Cyber Monday not quite as great as you wanted it to be? Did you feel like you were leaving money on the table? You knew you could have made more sales, but you just didn't know where that money was lying on the table? Well, it's probably because you have some blind spots in your business. We here at Perpetual Traffic want to make 2024 your best year ever. And now is the time to plan for it and set yourself up for 2024. It is not after the first of the year because by the time you actually start doing your planning after January 1st, you've already missed a month. So get that planning done now and do it on us. We are giving away 10 free audits, which goes through all of your ad platforms, all the platforms that you're spending money on right now, or maybe the ones that you're maybe not spending money on, but we feel that there is a great opportunity for you to spend and scale and grow. We'll also look at everything after the click for your CRO, your conversion architecture, as we call it. We'll even analyze your email sequences. And most importantly, we'll look at your data how you're actually capturing visitors' information, and how it's tracking all the way to your CRM or whatever your source of truth is. And we do this through a comprehensive audit where we rate each section of your customer acquisition path, give you a rating, and then give some recommendations as to what you should do in order to have 2024 be the best year ever. Now, we're only going to offer this for 10 lucky businesses in the month of December. Okay, that's it. That's the only capacity that we have. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash audit. Fill out the form and let's make 2024 the best year ever. And we're back with Lauren Petrullo, MBA, dog mom, yogi, Shakespearean actress, agency owner, and podcast guest. And Lauren's <laughs> going to share how she went now, don't forget from 2008. She's and friend. 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 Yeah. Bibliophile. You have to be careful with words that end in file because it just, people assume things. Lauren, you have a case study to share with us. 2,000 to 80,000 organic visitors in less than 12 months. How did you do that? Too long, don't listen. Is that the T-L-D-L? <laughs> Too long, don't read equivalent for podcast. Yeah. We had used like three software tools for us to create content with AI, not by AI. And if you tell me you write content by AI for your blogs, like, don't, don't tell me. I won't be nice in my... What would you say, back. hypothetically speaking? Let's try this out. Lauren, I write content exclusively with AI, no human intervention, and then I post it. 
Mm-hmm. You're a garbage monster <laughs> who's going to destroy all of your credibility in Google and choke on your insignificance because you suck so bad at life. Awesome. It's terrible. It's the worst I result I think you've ever gotten. And don't forget all your Twitter threads, too, are, best. are written by ChatGPT. <laughs> yeah. The unqualified twat. Please do not continue. We're definitely getting that bad rating on podcasts yeah. this week. Yep. So let's, now that we're getting the bad rating, let's just go completely off the rails and just, you know. Let's go all the way. Go all the way. Exactly. Yeah. So, Lauren, how did you do it? You've got a proprietary process, right? What's the gold, the skinny, the secret sauce? The secret sauce is that it's not one person. I think what's been really helpful for us is the adoption of AI as a tool and not as a replacement by any means, but something that our team can run with and check in on bases to make sure it's not going out of control in any capacity. We do the same handoff and deliverables that you'd expect for most blog production incidences. But in the past, we did a lot of tests comparing if a copywriter who knew the top subject matter really well created content without the SEOPs, if we did just SEO-focused content, and then if we did blogs with AI-only content, and we were spanked three times back and forth with how poorly they all failed when in comparison of this like integration of, we have an SEO manager that does a keyword research, we bring in the copywriter. We use Jasper as our main AI tool, but we also use ChatGPT. Um, they'll bring in this AI tool to enhance their content, not start their content from scratch. So it's almost like getting a box of Legos and creating what our end vision looks like for the blogs versus what we see a lot of people doing now, which is, well, I mean, it's okay. There's going to be like a reckoning soon and I will be there to say, I told you so. But they're instead of like buying the Legos and building the project, they're stealing a completed set that's already glued together and then making it fit on their website and they'll get fines. Well, well, I just, well, I'm going to pause you there because that is the best analogy I've ever heard in my entire life on what we're doing wrong with AI. If what we're trying to build, the output is a Lego project. What we used to have is you know, you just bought a whole box, completely separate pieces, and you got to piece 5,000 pieces together all by yourself. What we are trying to do is just hit the print button and have the Lego castle. And what you're saying is like, hey, you can build the parapet, you can build the moat, you can build the, I don't know, other castle pieces. But you know what I mean? Like you can build up and then a human comes and pieces them together, but you have to have that intermediary. Am I getting that right? Yeah. Otherwise, you'll look like every other castle. And you'll become genericized. Like you want to have the castle that makes sense for your audience because maybe they're deathly afraid of alligators and don't want the moat. Or maybe they want to build a drawbridge to a secret chamber that really floats their kids' wildest dreams. Yeah. First of all, a castle without a moat is not a castle. You need a dungeon. It's funny. I posted a, a Twitter thread that was AI generated one time and instantly got called out on it. Instantly. One of my Twitter followers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was like a weird social experiment. I posted the Twitter thread, and then I was going to follow up and say, "Hey, just so you know, that Twitter thread was AI generated." But I didn't have to follow up because some dude like responds and basically asks ChatGPT the exact same prompt I used to get my thread, and got something very, very, very similar. And uh, you can see it in my Twitter thread if you want to go hunting. It was right around New Year's. But I love the Lego analogy because I feel like you can extrapolate that like in three dimensions. 
And the more granular you want to get, maybe the drawbridge is the most important part of your Lego castle. And so that's where there's more human intervention. But the other pieces really can be copy and paste. And every business is going to be different with their copy, their media creation, their content, their product imagery. So I think that that's a really good way to look at and approach this, Lauren. Thank you for that. I'm going to see, I'm going to steal that from you. This is why you're here. You're welcome. Yeah. Steal, steal away. Do you have full permission? I'll just be here to be like the secret man behind the curtain, Wizard of Oz, of all of Cossum's really good ideas. So whether right. they were stolen from me or not, I'm going to start taking credit for all of them. Well, I think it should Damn. just, you know. Wow, I just got Uno reversed. Yeah. You see how that? <laughs> should give her, should give her credit no matter what. I would say another piece that I would just be like hyper aware of with regards to like blogs of what I think allowed us to see replicable success because we're seeing the same type of traction grow on websites that have zero brand new websites, getting this just massive visibility, ranking for keywords really, really fast is ways to ensure that there is human element to it. We use AI. 40 up to 60% of the article is written with AI, but it's guided by someone who knows and understands what our end goal is for the article. But I think what really was the cataclyst of success, we started making our blog shoppable. So we used the time that we save from AI, right? It could take our copywriter one to three days at times to write content about subject matter that they're not experts in. And now we can go from idea to upload in under two hours. All that free time we saved, we were then able to understand or look at what can we do to make this blog better. And we made our blog shoppable. So we had this blog that in 2021 generated $250 of sales. And then in Q4 2022, after we implemented shoppability to our blogs that were written with AI in October, generated $3,300 in sales. And then in February, last time I looked, was $3,400 in sales just for the month alone. So adding these touch points that send the algorithms signals that I'm engaging with the content, I'm not reading it, seeing, oh, this is clearly AI, I'm dipping. I'm taking actionable items like buying from the blog itself, adding to cart directly versus clicking on a link to go elsewhere has just avalanched our organic traffic to where I'm fairly certain we'll hit 100,000 organic views within 13 months or organic visitors per month within 13 months of launching this whole process. That's amazing. So the tools are Jasper AI and then obviously the human element. You said there was three tools, if I'm not mistaken. Good job. It's a tripeat of success. The tripeat, because you don't want to use tripeat because you'd have to pay, I think, Phil Jackson or somebody like a couple bucks. I don't know. Exactly. Well, so any content written for blogs with AI, if you're just writing with AI, again, you're losing out the SEO piece. We use Surfer SEO. It's been a game changer. Like it's the easiest tool and it's embarrassing how much it guides our work. You literally have this gas gauge from zero to 100. And you can see what your score is of SEO likelihood of success. So our bare minimum is 70, but really it's a demand of 80. And we'll write blogs that score 78 to 94. And then we'll get thousands of visitors to that website, to that blog within a few months. And it tells you which keywords to implement. So it's like giving you the instructions for a castle that you want to build with a Lego set if you want to make it a 13th century version. That's brilliant. Can I show you all something super embarrassing for our listeners? I'm about to share my screen and I'm going to lob a grenade at Surfer SEO because, yeah, when you try to... And these poor people, this has happened to me before, but when I Google Surfer SEO, the organic results, their site link extensions are all untitled. So Surfer SEO's website is not SEO optimized. Oh, mine is. I'm just 
such a malicious dork that that makes me so uh, happy. I misspelled it. Uh, no, actually, mine it is. They're being outranked on the paid side, though, for like two other tools. Yeah, but, they got to come hire Solutions 8. Yeah. Oh, and look, they have the Firestone footer. You go to Surfer SEO and you scroll down and it's just like this insane collage of reviews. Sorry, Lauren, I interrupted you. So there's Jasper, Surfer SEO. What's number three? ClickUp. ClickUp is the project management tool because it touches five or six people. So because it's not just a copywriter that's writing the blog with Jasper or with an AI tool, there's multiple steps. So we need to know like, where's the keyword research done so that it can progress along. Otherwise it becomes a mess and you're like, which ones? And there's post-it notes everywhere. And But ClickUp's not an AI tool or does it have AI features that I'm not aware of? No, it doesn't have any AI tools. So it's the quintessential element of organizing because now in this quarter, we're finishing up 78 blogs to add to this website for someone who is a part-time copywriter. That would not be possible without the AI One part-time copywriter produces 78 blogs. For this account, yes. Oh, gosh. And what's our average length of blogs, like word-wise? And does size matter? 1,500 to 3,500. Okay. Oh, wow. I mean, that's almost a pillar post. Yeah. So our SEO manager will do like we do glue maps and build out like what is our content plan. And then the first step is the SEO manager will find keywords for that topic, then pass the keywords to the copywriter. The copywriter will use the main keyword in Surfer, create a Google Doc. I can show you what that doc looks like if you want, where it tells you here's how you do this article well for SEO. I'm going to be stealing that doc. Yes, I'll show my screen right now. Well, Sorry, we are, are on YouTube. However, see. these episodes oh, will okay. be on YouTube. Just look for Casa right. My well, Happy see Face. This article is generating right here. So this is tens of thousands plus visitors per month, and we insert this keyword, and then it tells us which keywords to use and to get our score to be this high. It gives you this recipe on the right hand side, so it's dummy-ish proof for our copywriters who know nothing about SEO. But yeah, the copywriter gives the seed keywords and then the copywriter uses content editor with Surfer, creates this doc, starts writing the blog, then it gets reviewed and the team then goes in and adds interlinking, outlinking and shoppability to it. So all those pieces come together. The developer makes it shoppable. Do you understand what I mean by shoppable, by the way? I was going to ask you that. But for those of you who are listening and not actually going on the YouTube channel, what we just showed was a Google Doc, if I'm not mistaken, with a Chrome extension for Surf SEO. Was that what that was? Exactly. Right. And on the right-hand side, we actually sort of see all the keyword prompts and then the score at the top, if I'm not mistaken, because we're not looking at it right now. But Yeah. And so it was an 87 out of 100. So we knew that an 80% chance of being an SEO success for that article. For which particular... Which, by the way, aim at 80%. Well, which... That's the traction rule. Y'all know that, right? Which keyword was that for, though? What is it trying to rank for? I know that there was sort of a word cloud on the right-hand side, but what was it that you were trying to rank for? Korean skincare brands. Korean skincare brands. Okay, got it. So it's that good. And then I will show you that. That's pretty good. Like a real-time tool... Surfer SEO, we'll so obviously, you know, we'll get an affiliate link for that and custom and put it in the show notes, of course. No, but that's Dude, uh, that's the thing is really we should be getting paid for Surfer SEO. And per Lauren's point, the whole world's going to become an affiliate ecosystem soon. It's true. Why not start the waterfall yeah. here? Start the show now. notes. That's I'm going to show you that badass. article and show you what the shoppability is. Yeah. So it's this. We made it where you can add to cart directly from the article so that you don't have to interrupt 
and leave. This is how we had previously done it, where you click on this and then you have to go to a different product page. But if you're on the article, like, no, I want to keep reading. Instead, you don't have to. This is what we're talking about. So just click and add to your cart right now. Mm. So making shoppable. it shoppable is how do you create mm-hmm. just a plugin, right? Yeah. What is the plugin? What's the capability Shopify to be able to do that? plugin? No, we custom coded it. So we built a formula and then we just have a PDF. I'll give you, I'll give it to you so you can see what that PDF is. But we have VAs that know nothing about coding that just insert like, okay, at name of product, at URL of product. So you build this formula inside a meta field and you're done. So as we're reading in the article, so I just want to explain this to people who are listening. So as you're reading the article, the product is mentioned, and then you have a field below that product mentioned that actually shows visually the two products in this particular case, which they can click to, and then it opens up in a window on that page. I assume the same happens in mobile, assuming. Well, that's just the cart function. Okay of Shopify's theme, but it has a button for add to cart directly without you having to go to the product page to add to cart. Got it. Okay. It's very cool. (laughs) That is what we mean by shoppable. The whole point is don't just write blogs by AI just to have content on your website. Like prompts don't matter as much as purchases at the end of the day. Ooh, purchases over prompts. Yes. But at the end of the day, like, why are you blogging? (laughs) Are you blogging for your health? Well, you're blogging to sell stuff, right? Isn't that kind of the reason? Like at the end Every of the blog day, should be shoppable. Yeah. Right. I mean, blue underline links, which is what we always used to say way back when in the old days. Obviously, if you're going to be mentioning something along the way, why wouldn't you prompt in your copy itself? What are the, do we still talk about the Johnson boxes? <laughs> Johnson boxes are like opt-in forms in the middle of a blog post. I don't think there's even a WordPress plugin for any of that, but literally it's embedded calls to action within the content itself. Make it as easy as possible for people to take that next step, whatever it is, whether you're using a Johnson box for an opt-in or whether you're you know, writing an article on Korean skincare products, make it as easy as possible for them. And combining that with AI, with this Surfer SEO tool, that's pretty damn cool. You have the ingredients of how to make the article rank for success. And then you have enhanced elements to show Google that this isn't just written by AI. It's written with AI and it's made for the human. Because at the end of the day, they want to make sure the content shows expertise, authority, and trust. And if you're doing these types of actions, it's engagement on the blog. The way that you... Like I was telling you earlier about the Twitter engagement, any social media platform will reward you for engaging directly on platform. And so Google's going to this is my conspiracy theory, Kassam, that those signals on the page are going to show the algorithm that this content is highly viable for the next person doing that same search query. Because they actually took action. Versus leaving the page, going to another interior page, doing the same behavior that they do on most other websites. I find that bringing this back to paid advertising as well, I mean, obviously, we're talking about a lot of organic stuff here. What we've found is... And we have a lot of customers that do a really good job with their blog. And there are calls to action in a lot of cases. Probably not as good as what we're talking about here, especially on the e-commerce side. But when we use Performance Max, sending it to an e-commerce store, and then we use Google Performance Max expansion, URL expansion, what we find oftentimes is like 80 to 90% of the traffic that converts goes to a blog. 
And mm. it's not even wow. using some of the stuff that you're using right here, like really shoppable. It's like blue underline links or maybe a sidebar, that kind of thing. But think about the journey, whether you want to say it's the customer journey, the customer acquisition path, whatever it happens to be. People need to consume content before they actually mm. make a purchase. There's a fair amount of consideration that goes on here. So at the end of the day, if you're doing content marketing, you're not doing it just to do content marketing. You're doing it to sell something. But that part of that process is consumption of content, whether it's podcasts, whether it's YouTube videos, whether it's blog posts. And all you're doing is just facilitating that and allowing people in a very frictionless way to be able to take that next step. But I don't know if you see that too much with URL expansion, like taking it over to the paid side, Kasim, but we see it huge right now. Dude, URL expansion is one of the miracles of digital marketing that convinced me that I'd be out of a job soon. The fact that Google is going to send you to the page on the website that it thinks is most relevant, and that page is not always a commercialized page, and Google is more often than not right, blows my mind. So somebody who's not ready to convert, Google sends them to a case study or testimonial or product or info or you know how-to or whatever. And the more content-rich your website, the better equipped you are to accept that traffic. Because nobody clicks and buys. Yeah. Think about your own browsing experience. When was the last time you clicked on an ad and bought the thing? Never. Never. If you did, you're a lemming, right? Like you click and you watch and you research and you ask and you post and like nobody clicks and buys. And so arming yourself with content-rich user serving content, what Lauren's talking about is an absolute, complete, total prerequisite for organic, for paid, for social, for affiliates. We live in the age of the educated consumer. And if you're not willing to educate your consumer, somebody else will. Maybe if you're really good, one in a hundred people will buy from you. That's a 1% conversion rate. Like you're really, really, really good. E-commerce, the conversion rate on e-commerce stores is anywhere between, well, depending on which metric you use. Let's just say for the sake of arguments, anywhere between 1% and 5%. Well, maybe that 1% is people who have consumed single digit pieces of content or videos or whatever it happens to be. But the people who are on the 5% or 10% side have probably been to your social channels, probably visited your site before, probably shopped your competition, probably read some articles. Everything is a precursor to that journey to that ultimate conversion. So when people see the average conversion rate for an e-commerce store is 5 to 10%, depending on which study you look at, we just did a massive study on this, and like numbers are all over the map. It's not because people are seeing and buying, unless, like we always say, if you have the cure to cancer. But still, if you, even if you have the cure to cancer, you're still going to have to educate people on why it is the cure for cancer. So right. point is, is like what Lauren's talking about here is like an integrated strategy, whether it's organic, whether it's paid, it doesn't matter. Just making it really easy for people to take that next step is the bottom line here. Love it. It's the person that identifies and defines their value proposition is going to be the one that benefits from that value proposition. Here's what's crazy. Even if everybody has the same value proposition, I mentioned I just bought a sauna. The company I bought the sauna from made a huge deal about low EMF. Like, oh, we're low EMF. And here, I think I'm using the right acronym, but electromagnetic frequency. And so they had this chart on like, here's what a hairdryer is. Here's what a microwave. Here's a computer. Here's a cell phone. Here's our sauna. Super low EMF. We're not going to microwave you. You're not going to get cancer. You're going to be okay. And I'm like, oh man, that low EMF thing. I need that. The sauna is three times as expensive as any other sauna. Here's the funniest part. I get the sauna. I'm setting the sauna up. And then I'm talking to a buddy who knows saunas. He used to run fitness studios around the country. And he goes, oh, dude, all saunas, all infrared red light saunas are low EMF. They, by <laughs> virtue of the way that infrared works, Ralph, I wasn't even mad. 
I was like, good for those folks. You know, it's like, this is brilliant. Unique mechanism. Yeah. They built up this value prop that in my mind, I'm like, all other things equal, you're low AMF, I'm buying your sauna. And God bless them, man. So, but they needed to have that content and they did. They had downloadable PDFs, the chart, the video, the explainer, the whatever. And so when I did my research, that's how they got their hooks into me. And what Lauren's doing now with one part-time employee to be able to produce almost 80 blogs is insane. But that's where we are. That's the new ecosystem. Either play or die. Right. You downloaded like the infographic on what is low EMF. They say is the marketers are the easiest to market to, but you just sort of proved my point there. Right. Fabulous. Yeah. Like, What else can you add to what we've already talked if about? If you want, the way we've taken the blogs is when they were... Re- so again, the biggest is because we're writing with AI, we've saved time. And with that time, we found ways to make a better user experience. And once we've gotten all this blog traffic, then we started doing with AI Pinterest posts. And so then we're just creating pins with a click of the button with the Pinterest Chromex browser. The content we generate with AI really quickly in under two hours creates an automatic pin on Pinterest. And then that pin is generating outbound clicks back to the blog. So it's just all the time that we saved allowed us to 10x the impact, which is embedding shoppability to the blog, letting us do these other pieces. I don't know if that's helpful or useful. The embedding shoppability is pretty cool. You've got a huge... You've got something there. Do you have a plug-in or anything like that? It's like a candy bar at the grocery store aisle. Yeah. But that's something that you guys do on your own. It's not a plug-in that you sell or, you know? No, no. We coded it custom, did it all ourselves, made it look like Amazon. We actually stole the idea from Cosmopolitan articles because I think Cosmopolitan is the best resource for headlines. Oh, God, yeah. Again, at that grocery store aisle. It's the best. Like 17 ways to make your O last longer. Oh, everyone's going to buy that. 17 ways to make There's a great article, best Cosmo headlines ever, I think by copy blogger. We'll leave links in the show notes. And it's one that's still on my favorites to this day. The Cosmo headline technique for content inspiration. And we will leave that in the show notes because if you've ever been in the grocery aisle, oh my God, it's a copywriter's dream. It's not quite as good as your review, but it's right up there. Just look at any Cosmo. The next time you're in the grocery store, for those of you who actually still go to the grocery store, check it out. And People Magazine's pretty good. The National Enquirer used to be this way, but Cosmo is just the king. And it's usually, it's right there. So if you stole it from there, that's a pretty darn good source. So as far as folks doing that on their own, like what would be your recommendation if they don't have a programming team to do it for them? Yeah, we have specific Shopify developers. So you can obviously hire us and we can do it for you. Or just get a coder. Get a coder that knows Shopify and then you build a formula and you want to make sure that it's a formula that you then get clear explanations because again, it's VAs that don't have any coding experience that will copy and paste. Here's what the formula is. So every time you use this formula inside the blog and you put the different pieces, it's going to pull that data to display it on the blog. And like another level we did, because that's hundreds of SKUs on that site, we even did a few extra hours of coding in a replacement product. So the store will read, is that stock, is that product out of stock? Okay, replace it with this product instead. Because we were finding that we sold out of everything from that blog in two months without looking. Like, that is so cool. So it's almost like it's tied into the product feed to a certain degree or, or categories within the feed itself. Well, it's pulling the product itself. Okay. Because in the formula, we do like dash, dash, at name product, dash, dash, at 
URL of the product, dash, dash, what you want to have said above the product and you write it out, dash, dash, what you want to say below, dash, dash, what you want the button to say. So it's totally customizable to say whatever you want. It's going to pull that product from the data you give it based on the URL. And then it has a reader, at least how we've coded it, to make sure if this product is out of stock, then show the backup product that we added to this formula. That's brilliant. Laura, you just gave me an idea for a KPI to track its conversions per content. You take a look at the amount of content available on your website, benchmark it against the conversions that are taking place, and bet money that the more content you create on specific products, the more conversions are catalyzed over time. The question becomes, how long does it take from point of publish to point of purchase? And my expectation, obviously being product and category dependent, it's longer than people think. And everybody views all data in 30-day timelines. And I don't know why marketers do this because it's stupid. But I think if you publish a blog, like nine months later, you start seeing an uptick in sauna sales, for instance, which is a larger purchase. And so it's going to take a longer time. But I'd be curious as to your just gut reaction to that. How long do you think it takes between publish and purchase impact? I think publish and purchase impact is a longer, like that article was written and published November 29th, 2022. And it has generated thousands of dollars of sales from it. Now it catalyzed because other smaller articles have been published in May and June. My gut reaction is it takes at least six months for visibility, but then there's compound pounding. Once you start getting some, there's a halo lift for all the next uploaded articles that carries weight because you've proven already to the algorithms of the world that this is a more viable piece of content. That's my conspiracy theory assumption gut reaction. Yeah, it's hard to tell though, because if you're creating a lot of content on one topic, you don't necessarily know which content is attributed to the lift. The user journey isn't adequately tracked at the top of the funnel. And so a lot of this is just going with your gut. You know, it's like media efficiency ratio with paid traffic. You just have to produce and then get a sense as to where the wind is blowing. Well, where the wind is blowing for us has been the more content we develop, the higher our average order value and frequency of sales has collated to where we're at because we're doing 78 blogs Q2. We did 40 blogs Q1 and we did like 25 blogs Q4 last year. So now we can see that the more we content we create, the velocity of sales. And again, the average order value, which is really interesting because that keeps going up. But I will say in this other conspiracy theory, if you will, only because we've cleaned up so much time that would have previously been devoted to these tactics is we started doing in September, once we started seeing this pickup content in Spanish, and now we're seeing the content in Spanish rank significantly faster and start doing sales before because we'll look in analytics and track where sales came from that blog specifically. That's where my next assumption and hurdle or exploration goes. So Kasim, if you're too old or too bored to not do it, you can steal all that. Yeah, I'm just going to need you to come bring me the quick and easy version later. Let me know how it all goes. Be like, hey, we started doing content in Spanish and this is what yield and it was good. Yeah, for the people listening, if you haven't explored expansion through translation, it's such a missed opportunity. I've got a buddy, he's in our mastermind, and all he does is he takes North American products and he translates them into Spanish and Portuguese and he brings it to Latin America. And he doesn't, by his own admission, he doesn't do it well. He's like, dude, you can do 60% of the way there. And because nobody's producing, it does phenomenally well. The bar is so low. And if you're already doing all the hard work, physical products or info products, you might as well. There's no reason not to do that. The one thing that I you... I would say if you're doing it with AI, though... Oh, go ahead. It's trash. The language translations are awful. 
today. It but is they'll get better. Today, it needs to be. They will get better. Yeah, and when it does, it's going to be unfair because yeah. that market is so underserved. Right. Especially in the U.S., there's like 50 million Spanish speakers in the U.S. That's the 26th largest population in the world if it were its own country. Just the U.S. Spanish speakers is the 26th largest population yes. in the world. Wow. Yes, I believe it's 53 million. I'm going to fact check myself. Interessante. This is the question that I've always sort of had in the back of my mind. If you have a U.S.-based product and you're selling it, obviously, on your English language-based website, landing pages, sales pages, etc., if you translate to Spanish and then set up your targeting, so you're targeting people in the U.S. who speak Spanish, does that get the same lift? Or are we talking separate countries specifically, which sometimes you do have to watch he out for that. We, separate okay. Well, what we found is that when you do go but to separate countries- He just does that because of licensing. Okay. He'll actually come to you and say, hey, I don't want to touch North America. I don't want to compete with you at all. Mm -hmm license your thing to me and I'll go sell it to Latin America. And he's doing that because he doesn't want them to feel like he's going to bleed into their, you know, be a competitor. But I think our customers, Ralph, everybody should be translating onshore too. Like, why wouldn't you do that to the point that I think you're making? Yeah. No, that's my question. Because I mean, going to the other countries obviously makes a whole lot of sense. And not even just Spanish speaking, other countries like Eastern Europe, Western Europe as well. There's right. expansion there, potential. One of the things you do have to watch out for is price point, especially like in the Eastern European countries to a lesser degree or greater degree, depending on what your product is. But the point is, yeah, this is a big deal. I would not say that AI is the tool to necessarily Dude, you use. Know, sometimes it goes the other way. There's stuff in, my father's from Pakistan. There's stuff in Pakistan that's actually more expensive, more expensive to get iPhones in Pakistan than it is in the U.S., because of import and there's electronics can be more expensive. Vehicles, vehicle parts can be more expensive. So there's like arbitrage to be done if you can get it here and ship it there. I think it might have been before we actually started recording, but Lauren, you were mentioning things in Brazil are more expensive. People buy it in the US and then bring it to Brazil, which is counterintuitive to say the least. So I'm in Orlando, Florida. And if you go to a Target near Disney, you will see Brazilians guaranteed every day buying carts worth of stuff because what they can fill in a suitcase that they can resell in Brazil will pay for their entire family's vacation. So they'll bring as many family members as they can because they all get two to four suitcases each. So each suitcase pays for an entire vacation. And it's just this like mass exodus of product. So we're creating content in Spanish for the US market. So we use keywords specifically like our YouTube channel, as small as it is, still has over 200 subscribers. And that content that we're doing specifically for the Spanish market in the US, our Spanish speakers that buy from the Spanish content will spend over $150 when compared to other average order values of different markets. But this was all stolen from what we did at Disney, which was having the Portuguese content in the US targeted towards people that spoke Portuguese, because if they had gotten here, that price point discrepancy didn't matter because they had already arrived into this economy, whether they were vacationing or staying with friends and family. So they knew the cost of admission in US dollars, and it wasn't a consideration. Fascinating. We could continue to talk here for quite some time here, Lauren. Just when we thought we were ending the show, we go on this 
you know, translation to Spanish, rant, rave. Fabulous to have you on the show finally, really for the first time, even though it's been sort of your second or third time because of reposting from Digital Marketer. Where can people find you? Where uh, You mentioned something about them being able to hire you, which is an option for people here, but also where can they connect with you on the socials, et cetera? Sure. So it's Lauren E. Petrullo because some great monkey doctor in Colorado stole all the Lauren Petrullo socials first. Oh, gosh. Grab your name, especially if you're married or considering getting married. Steal that handle first. So Lauren E. Petrullo. And then my website is mongoosemedia.us. If you go to mongoosemedia.us slash PT, you can get my entire blog SOP. It's 10 pages with pictures that walk through all the steps to hand off all the different pieces. That is mongoosemedia.us, correct? Forward slash PT. Yes. Yeah. So for yes. those of you who are looking to uh, some of the blog, like will they ha- actually have examples of some of the blog posts that we've talked about here with URLs, et cetera, so people can look at that or is it? I can absolutely add them to it. No problem. That would be fabulous as I well. I will send every, and I'll send you over the pieces too of how we made our embeddable, at least showing you like our PDF explainer for how our VAs make our blog shoppable. Damn. That's value right Just there. For PT folks. You know, it's amazing that we don't charge for this podcast. Really? I think we should. Wait, we don't? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, everybody's listening should have been Venmoing me this entire time. There is so much money embedded in the last 50 minutes or so. It's crazy, especially if you're an e-commerce owner. Oh my God. You're leaving a lot of money yeah. on the table. So listen back to this again for crying out loud and go over to perpetualtraffic.com for all the resources and links that we talked about here in the show notes. Make sure that you do check out Lauren E. Petrullo, not the monkey doctor. Is that what you said? Monkey doctor. Monkey doctor is Lauren Petrullo. She's super smart and she's also blonde, but she's like uncomfortably beautiful and has a PhD. So Imposter syndrome all the time. You have an MBA. So yeah, you you make people money. Like that's what nothing. I don't believe in education as a pre-qualifier for intelligence whatsoever. I think people who are doing their career with the school of YouTube are much smarter because they didn't pay for a useless certificate. University of YouTube. Is she really a monkey doctor? Or was that, are you being mean? Her posts were all about researching monkeys. And then I stopped looking because I was getting so jealous. And I was like, I don't want that in my life. It's great. Success to her. Also, Cosm, I'm on Venmo trying to send you a joke of money and you don't show up. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't like we money. We couldn't find anyone. He's in the it's, yeah, it's Ralph H. Burns, by the way, just if anyone wants to Venmo me or anything. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on Perpetual Traffic. Make sure that you subscribe and leave a rating and a review. Now, if you leave a review, like Lauren left her review, you might get a shot at coming on the show. might take a little while. But my point is, is that it really does help increase our listenership and help marketers like yourself, as well as CEOs, CMOs, and people of all kinds of backgrounds to scale and grow their business here at Perpetual Traffic. So certainly leave a rating and a review. Much appreciated there. Let us know what we can do better over at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better. And follow myself, Ralph Burns, on LinkedIn and Kasim, I suppose, over at, at Kasim Aslam on Twitter, even though all his threads are AI generated, apparently. How that's dare not, you? That's not true. Not true. Just giving him a hard time. Go back and listen to previous episodes and check out our YouTube channel. New plug at the end. There's like two or three 
perpetual traffic YouTube channels. We're trying to consolidate them all. But go to the one with Kasim and Ralph's smiling faces looking right at you and not many subscribers. But we are putting these shows on our YouTube channel, which is very helpful, especially with a guest like Lauren, who did a fair amount of screen sharing here today. So check that out. Like I said, all resources and show notes are over at perpetualtraffic.com. On behalf of my awesome co-host, Kasim Haslam, peace. Until next show, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic, 